Hey there, it's Ozzy here, just diving on before the podcast proper to explain that what you're about to hear was recorded two or three days prior to what you're hearing right now. And in fact, I only just got around to editing it. Yes, I do edit this stuff. The reason that's sort of important is that it was recorded prior to Team GB women failing to qualify for the curling final of the Winter Olympics 2018. And why that's important will become clear when you listen to the rest of the podcast. I'll see you the other side of the music. Hey there, and welcome to the When's My Time podcast. I'm Ozzy Eyre, founder of whensmytime.com. Well, the episode I recorded earlier in the week was the first one in three months, so strap in, we have quite a lot of ground to catch up on. I'm going to be touching on some stuff today that could prove a little tricky, and which may result in me losing one or two listeners. Not you, of course, though. You're made of much stronger stuff than that. A first look at the title of this episode, Curling, Faith, Brexit and Gun Control, and you may think I'm heading off on even more tangents than usual. But at least in my mind, all four elements are connected. Let me explain. Now, I don't know when you'll be listening to this episode, but right now, at the time of recording, the 2018 Winter Olympics are just approaching their climax. Ever since I first saw the Olympics, both the summer and winter versions in 1964, I've been hooked. My first loves were long jump, ski jump and bobsleigh. But while my passions for those three remain undimmed, my interests have widened to include most of the sports on show. At the Calgary Games in 2002, a new sport, well, (laughs) really quite an old sport, but new to me, stole my affection. I watched Transfixed late into the night as Rona Martin led her team of women to victory and a gold medal for Team GB in the curling event. Now, for two weeks every four years, curling becomes almost an all-consuming interest at the Air Homestead. Another late night this week saw me again watching a GB team, this time the men fall short in their bid to beat Switzerland in a playoff match and to reach the semi-final. At around 2.30am UK time, the British skip Carl Smith shook hands with his Swiss counterpart and conceded defeat, and I sloped off to bed with a heavy heart. Had anyone sat beside me during that match, and incidentally everyone else in the house had been sensible enough to retire to their beds several hours earlier, they would have been amazed with my depth of knowledge and expertise when it comes to the game of curling. It would have been clear to them from my running commentary of the game that it should have been me out on the ice, leading the gallant Brits, rather than young Mr Smith. Curling is a game at which I am clearly brilliant, and all without ever knowingly having been within 50 miles of a curling rink. I want to leave you in no doubt here. I talk a great game, at least in the privacy of my own sitting room. And that's the point. 
It's in the privacy of my own sitting room. No one else can hear me, especially not Carl Smith and his incredibly talented team of young men who I'm convinced will go on to represent Team GB at many Olympics to come. Were I ever to meet any of them, I'm sure I'd be every bit as starstruck as I was when I had the great good fortune last summer to meet my hero from the very first Olympics I saw on a grainy black and white TV, long jumper Lynn Davis. Much as I love sport, believe it or not, I actually think there are certain things that are even more important. And so do a lot of other people. And just like me, when it comes to curling, they all believe themselves to be experts. The trouble is, they tend not to confine their comments to the sitting room. Before I go any further, I probably need to lay a few of my cards on the table. And this is where I may lose the first tranche of listeners. Depending on where you stand, both politically and geographically, I could probably be described as anything from a dangerous left-wing radical through liberal elite to right-wing reactionary old fart. And I've been called a lot worse along the way. Perhaps the one thing I'd cling to most is liberal, though I'd find the elite rather more of a stretch, as would anyone who knows anything about me or my story. I do find it odd, though, that the term elite has become derogatory, as though striving to improve oneself is something to be decried. By the way, I see that as something different from elitism. So, if I'm seeking to improve myself in some way, to gain some new knowledge or acquire a new skill, it's not so I'll be somehow better than anyone else. It's so I'll be better than the person I was yesterday. Sorry, I went off a bit of a tangent there. But there seems right now to be a mood to devalue knowledge, to eschew education and to disregard expertise. I seem to remember Chairman Mao tried something similar in the Cultural Revolution. I won't spoil it and tell you how that turned out. Where was I? Oh yes, I was laying my cards on the table. Another thing that could well lose me a lot of listeners is the fact that I'm agnostic, verging on atheist, and I know that sits uneasily with some folks. And my final card? I have to hold my hand up and admit that I have not always followed the course I'm about to advocate. And I believe that holds true for most folks, and I'm sorry to say, particularly those who may be labelled liberal elites. Yes, even the agnostics and atheists among them. I've talked before about the concept of confirmation bias and cherry-picking, essentially seeking out evidence that supports our own point of view, and disregarding any that challenges it no matter how overwhelming and convincing that evidence may be. Well, social media has the effect of amplifying those tendencies even further. We'll join groups that share our interests, and in which there really will be a dissenting voice to challengers. Worse though, when anyone does seek to challenge a commonly held belief, they are randed on, attacked, decried as an idiot. Have you ever noticed that? How sensible, intelligent well-educated people always tend to agree with what you say. It's just the idiots who disagree. Rather than uniting us, social media can have the exact opposite effect and increase divisions. It herds us into interest groups where our own opinions can be bolstered. We rarely hear an opposing view, and when we do, the pack can turn on them, sneer and snarl at them, and shout them down. 
when it happens, we are comfortable in the knowledge they had it coming. They were an idiot because they disagreed with the received wisdom of the group. This has to stop. If we wish to grow, if we wish to progress as a society, this has to stop. Let's look at faith and allow me as an almost atheist to pontificate here. <laughs> See what I did there. There are atheists who will get into heated, sometimes very heated debates with people of faith. Why they do that, I, I don't know. If asked, I could make a reasonable, maybe even powerful argument as to why it's unlikely there is a God. But who am I trying to convince and why? I know at least five people for whom, over the past five years or so, their faith has got them through some tough challenges, mostly related to their health, or even more challenging, to the health of their children. When I say their faith got them through, I have absolutely no doubt about that fact. But I don't mean a god cured them or their children. Science, the skill of surgeons and medical staff, and loving care did that. I'm convinced, though, their faith was 100% behind what allowed them to endure it and pull through their challenges, and that faith has been strengthened by that experience. So, what sort of friend would I have been? And how would I have helped them if I had sat with them and explained in great detail why I believed that faith was misplaced? What if I had talked to them about other friends of faith who had faced similar challenges but who had not come through? What if I'd asked them why their faith had not been rewarded in the same way? What if I'd been blessed with better linguistic and debating skills and won that particular intellectual argument and in so doing robbed them of their faith? What purpose would that have served? I think none but the most hardline proselytising atheist would feel it the right thing to do to take someone's faith at the point they needed it the most. Let's turn that around though. Some time ago I was facing a challenge and a friend sent me a message from halfway around the world saying he'd pray for me. I was touched that he thought of me when I was going through a rough patch. Yet around the same time I saw a similar post on Facebook where the guy facing the challenges had rounded on the person offering prayers and was really quite abusive about his beliefs. Look, I I'm not talking about the meaningless thoughts and prayers tweets you see. Whenever there's a, a natural or man-made disaster, when what's really needed is practical assistance. While we're talking about challenges, my own country is facing up to its toughest during my lifetime. Brexit. If you're outside of the UK, it may not be apparent what a big deal this is. So you'll have to take my word for it. If you're a regular listener, you'll know I voted to remain. In fact, I had written an essay in the lead-up to the general election over a year before the referendum, arguing that the referendum itself was a bad idea, as we simply didn't understand what we were being asked to decide upon. It has since emerged that no one, not even those responsible for asking us to vote on the matter, understood or understands what the outcome of that decision will be. In a little over a year from today, the UK will leave the European Union, Something that saddens me greatly, but something that saddens me even more is the deep division that has opened up within my country over this issue. I believe it's a massive mistake we're about to make. By the way, note I say I believe it's a massive mistake. I don't know. 
And I believe that a second referendum, once details of the eventual deal are known, is the only logical way to proceed. But the politicians don't agree, despite the fact that the majority of MPs on both sides of the House advocated remaining within the EU at the time of the original referendum. Whether or not there is a second referendum, and whatever the result if it were to happen, the damage has been done when it comes to dividing the nation. And I'd lay the blame for that at two doors. Initially, the politicians. The then Prime Minister David Cameron, who, in what must have been the biggest gamble in history, put his and his party's future ahead of the future of our country. And secondly, the rest of us, for the way we have characterised the opposing side. There was no real debate in the lead-up to the referendum, and there has been even less afterwards, with each side getting ever more abusive about the other. No one seems prepared to listen to or consider the arguments of the opposing side. But that may be because very few real arguments are being put forward. This conjecture with a side order of abuse and little else. So, while I may believe we're heading down the wrong route, I've long given up trying to discuss that point, particularly on social media, not because I fear opposing arguments. In fact, I'd welcome a well-made argument that would allay my fears and convince me that I'd been wrong all along but because I no longer have an appetite to endure the abuse that would follow. I get the feeling that a similar situation has arisen over the pond in the US recently, following the desperately sad news of yet another shooting. As an outsider, the issue looks cut and dried to me. There are too many guns getting into the wrong hands, so reducing the number of guns in circulation might be a reasonable first step, or at least not adding to their number. But that's the issue. I'm an outsider. I have no real understanding of the background to this issue. I don't know what it's like to be taught from an early age about a constitution, or the amendments to that constitution that, seemingly, can't be amended themselves, or to have such a distrust of my government, as opposed to individual politicians, that I would ever feel the need to bear arms in case it tried to get above itself. Plus, as an outsider, it's quite likely that any suggestions I offered might not be welcome. None of us likes our shortcomings pointed out at the best of times, and when things are as heated as they seem to be right now around this issue, the last thing I'm sure the good folks in the US need is a bunch of outsiders leaning over their shoulders with big sticks just so they can make the pointing out even pointier. The people of the US will work this out. They have to. The best the rest of us can do is to stand by, in case they want to come and see what's working for us which, by the way, isn't perfect, but it might just help reduce the numbers of deaths from both deliberate and accidental shootings. All of that needs to start, though, with a conversation. Not with posturing, not with soundbites, and certainly not with each side insulting the other. Let's face it, when was the last time someone called you an idiot and it made you stop and think, yeah, you have a point. I'll see things completely differently from now on. In fact, I'll change everything I believe to be true about this topic. I'm guessing never. So why do we think we can use that exact tactic to win someone around to our way of thinking? It makes no sense. Here's the bottom line. You can't characterise all agnostics and atheists as evil, just as it would be wrong to suggest all people of faith are outdated and uneducated. Not everyone who voted for Brexit is an anti-immigrant xenophobe, In the same way, not everyone who voted Remain is a treacherous snowflake. 
And not everyone who believes in upholding the Second Amendment is a supporter of mass murder. Just like not everyone who is in favour of tighter gun control is someone who would ride roughshod over the Constitution. Or, seemingly worse, and to use a phrase coined this week by Wayne Lapierre, head of the NRA, a European socialist. Whatever that might be. Here's an idea. Whichever side of a debate you're on, and whatever that debate happens to be, how about you decide to make your case calmly? With facts, not opinions, to back it up. And, just as important, to listen to your opponent when he or she does the same. And weigh up what they have to say. And seriously consider whether what they're saying has more validity than what you had previously thought. Having said all that, though, if it's curling you need the final word on, then I'm your man. Thank you for spending your time with me and for listening. If you've enjoyed this, then don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a five-star review. Tell your friends too. I'll probably need more subscribers to replace the listeners I just lost. I've been Ozier, founder of whensmytime.com, and I'm here to tell you, your time is now. <laughs>